0: In looking at a passage of scripture like this, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 16. So Numbers chapter 16. And and um, looking at a passage of scripture like this or in sharing from a passage like this, I, I just wanted to share, it's, it's not coming from uh, anything that I know of in the church. It's not coming from anything that I know of in my own personal experience. And I, I asked I asked somebody, uh, one of the cool young people, um, I don't know if there's an expression for this, uh, but uh, like internet slang type of a thing, but when you don't want to tell somebody something directly, but you mention them in a tweet, is that called subtweeting? I don't, is subtweeting, is that what it is? I don't, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Is there still an internet? I don't have a phone. But um, if, uh, if that's a thing, I'm not doing that. The reason why we're looking at this passage of scripture is because... <clears throat> As I was praying and the opportunity came to share, I had been reading through Numbers, and this passage just came alive to me. And so then the opportunity came to share, and I thought, maybe this is what the Lord wants me to share, but it's a really tough passage of Scripture, so I wanted a lot more confirmation before I started, and uh, I prayed, and on 104.7 God's Way Radio, 104.7 FM, um, Pastor Chuck was teaching on Revelation, and he mentioned the sons of Korah. We're going to talk about the rebellion of Korah. And, uh, and then I came to work and one of the other brothers that I serve with uh, was like, hey, you know, I have a question about, I was reading through the sons of Korah. I'm like, oh man, Korah! And they thought I was weird because I was so excited about Korah. Um, but um, I would say who they are, but they strictly enjoined me not to give them credit. But they had some really cool insight, which we'll mention later. So with that, I thought, ma'am, I think the Lord really wants us to go through this passage of scripture. I don't know why, but i got to trust in faith that in going through a passage of Scripture like this, maybe there's something healing, something inoculating, something preventative that the Lord wants to do through the Scriptures. So let's go through it. Numbers chapter 16. For the sake of context, in Exodus, um, from the Red Sea till the end of the book, that took about one year in the book of Exodus, if you're reading through Exodus. Or in Leviticus, the the whole book of Leviticus took about one month to take place. Um, And between Numbers 1 through 14... That's the second year after the Exodus and what was taking place uh, in those chapters. And then Numbers 15 through 19, that's the 28 years of the the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. You look at the detail that's given, the book of Exodus, for these two years that take place. And then all these 28 years are kind of summed up in four chapters of the Bible. And you wonder, where's the detailed account of them going through the wilderness? And there, there isn't one. There isn't one because these were years in which they failed to live in obedience. And and it's it's a thing that can happen even to Christians, even to believers, where the Lord has delivered them out of Egypt. The Lord has broken these bonds of the world and saved them and set them free. And yet, for the lack of obedience in their own lives, that here they're just wandering about in kind of this aimless wilderness where there's no progress There's only kind of the slow withering of death because there's no obedience to what it is that the Lord had called them to. And so there's nothing much worth recording during those 28 years. They're just going in circles. And, and, and hopefully it's not the case for any of us, but it's possible to have this life where the Lord saves you out of the wilderness, he, he saves you out of Egypt, and yet as they came to the promised land and they saw all the, the life and the things that God had called them to, that God had promised them to, this life of fruitfulness, this life of joy and, and satisfaction and being settled into the promises of God, that when they got there they said, we can't fight those battles, they look like giants, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. I can't, I can't walk in obedience to what God says in the scripture. I can't just go out there and obey. That's crazy talk. You know how many people try to obey and they don't? No, I can't. I can't do that. We can't do that. And so then they get turned back into the wilderness. They spend 28 years just kind of wandering around, never being profitable, never being fruitful. You've got those people that just, you know, they, hey, they, they prayed that prayer. They're going to heaven. But that's the extent of the progress, of the growth, of the development that they can have as believers. They come to church, they go home, that's it, you know? And then, and then their life constitutes maybe, I, I pray not any of us, but I hope our lives doesn't constitute this turmoil of up and down and up and down and up and down, but never taking the land, right? And so that's the period of time that we find ourselves in in this chapter, um, this is a, a rebellion uh, that's taking place from within. And uh, it's a warning for us. Uh, if you, uh, just to read one quick verse in one small book in Jude chapter. <clears throat> actually, I'm going to read a few other, a few other uh, verses. But it's in Jude chapter 1, because there's only one chapter in Jude. The book just before Revelation. And it says in verse 8, Likewise, these dreamers defile the flesh. Jude 8, verse 8. Likewise, these dreamers defile the flesh, they reject authority, they speak evil of dignitaries. And yet, Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not to bring a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. For whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts and these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them! For they have gone in the way of Cain... They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. And so Korah becomes this type. It's a warning to leaders against rebelling against God's God-given authority. And, 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 uh, and so that's what this chapter is about, this warning against rebellion. Rebellion is defined as the open resistance to lawful authority. And as we read through it, it really does serve as a, a type um, it serves as a case study on what rebellion does, right? And how rebellion ends. So in verse 1, it says, now, the son, now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the sons of Peleth, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. So Korah, you know, in his introduction, this is quite an introduction. It's not just his name, but his name and his lineage. And he's not just any old Korah. He's Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. This was a priest. This this guy was an important guy. You'd you'd know his name. This is a dangerous uh, rebellion because it's coming from someone, not just anybody, but somebody that already had position, that already had authority, they already had reputation, and, and it wasn 't just any one of the tribes of uh, any one of the tribes, but of the tribe of Levi and of the specific family of Levi, the sons of Kohath, it was their job to carry the furniture of the tabernacle. They came very close to the the elements and implements that symbolized the presence of God, that symbolized the Holy Spirit that symbolized the joy and fellowship and communion that, they, that you had with god so This is a very privileged person, a very blessed person, a person whose name you'd recognize and who you'd respect. And the sons of Kohath, they dwelt or they encamped towards the south of the camp of Israel when they would encamp with uh, Simeon and Gad and Reuben. And and here the sons of Kohath, it would seem that that Korah, one of his sons, he gathered unto himself uh, some of the tribe of Reuben as well. You have these names that are listed, Dathan and Abiram and on. Um, So these three guys from from Reuben, maybe just because of their their lineage or because they were close by to the sons of Kohath where they would encamp. Korah, I mean, I looked it up. Korah means bald. Izhar means shining oil. I don't know if that means anything. But if you're going to look it up, now you don't have to. I'm not saying that's why he was bitter. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. But the thing about Korah, the, the thing about Korah is, is that when a Korah rebels, a Korah never rebels alone, right? He never, when he has an issue with the authority, with the spiritual authority, he never goes one-on-one to that spiritual authority to speak to them, to say, Hey, I, I have an issue. I, I, I want to be closer. I want to serve more. Is there any way that I could, you know, wh- why? Why am I over here as a Levite? And, and why am I not? No, no, he wants to gather others to his side first. It's, it's a very tactical, it's very dangerous, and he doesn't just gather anybody, but he gathers dignitaries. It says, verse 2, he says, and those who rose up before Moses were some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. And so here, these guys, these guys that they gather in were also well-respected leaders, these, these guys were the, the elders, the deacons. These guys are dragged into this kind of rebellion. And, it, and it's a tragic thing that even good people that can be drawn into one man's bitterness and selfish ambition, right? Because here Korah, he's going to state that he has one reason for his rebellion, but whenever there's like a rebellion, there's always a stated reason and then there's a hidden reason. So his, his stated reason, uh, we're going to read in a second, but... He gets all these people, 250 important, well-renowned people, into this bitterness. Selfish ambition always leads to trouble. It always leads to, ambi- to, to, to rebellion. And, and so you look at, um, I, I heard this and I wrote it down because I wanted to communicate it as close as I possibly could to how I heard it stated. One of the biggest problems that you'll ever face in ministry is when you have to say no to a person who is desiring a position that is beyond their gifting and beyond their calling. And that's the problem that, that, that we have here with Korah. He's desiring, he is a Levite. God made him and called him to be a Levite. But he's desiring the priesthood. And so when you have to say no to someone like Korah, you're always going to have a fight on your hands. Someone like Korah sitting there is never going to be content with the ministry, no matter how great his ministry he has. He's always going to be content, discontent, and wanting to grasp for more, having more authority, being in front of more people. And, and, and that's what's called selfish ambition. The Bible does not condemn ambition for God. If you want to do a great thing for God, that's awesome. The Lord loves that. It's, it's worth noting. Right, That you look at uh, Jesus with his disciples and they were always arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And so it's not good that they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. That was terrible. But I think it's, it's worth noting that when Jesus speaks to them, he doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great in the kingdom of God. He tells them, let me show you how to be great in the kingdom of God. You got it all backwards. You got to be the servant of all. You got to be humble. You got to be self-sacrificing you got to be below the lowest. Then you'll be great in the kingdom of God. That's how you could do it. It's the opposite of the way that you're thinking. People got to not know your name. You know? And so he's giving them this kind of prescription. But the Bible does condemn selfish ambition. When it's not about glorifying God or doing something great for the kingdom of God, you know? It's about aggrandizing myself. People need to see how awesome I am. I am very respectable. You know, I want to be a force to be reckoned with. May people, you know, do you know who you're talking to? You know, that kind of attitude is not something that the Lord is going gonna, is gonna to glorify. There are several verses in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. James chapter 3 verse 14 says, "But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth." Verse 16 for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So if the motivation or the heart behind it is selfish ambition or self-seeking or bitter envy, it's not going to produce anything but confusion and pain. So what's the motivation or the heart behind what's taking place? And sometimes these rebellions spring up where there is a lack of authority, but sometimes they spring up just because they spring up, you know? Uh, We live in a fallen world. And the first thing that they did, it says that they took men. And I I couldn't help but thinking of Acts chapter 20, when Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. He's admonishing them and preparing them for what's going to take place. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, To draw away disciples after themselves, so there's there's two attacks there. Savage wolves are coming in to try to take advantage of the flock, and I I love this description. So it's worth noting. How can you tell the difference between a sheep and a wolf in sheep's clothing? Right. If you look at a sheep, a sheep is eating grass. Well, that's a sheep. If you look at what looks like a sheep and it's eating other sheep, that's a wolf you know and so uh, you you'll see that there there are the wolves are always trying to gather people and take advantage of them and 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 consume them for themselves it's for me trying to uh, uh, you know sacrifice on the altar of my ego you know bringing people to myself and then it also says that those would come up from amongst themselves who would draw away disciples after themselves boy we we're supposed to be disciples of Christ not disciples of men right even in Paul, when he was speaking to, uh, in, in, in the church at Corinth, where he would say, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos or Peter. Guys, what do we have that we didn't receive? Why do we, if we don't have anything other than that which has been freely given to us by Christ, why are we going to boast as if we hadn't received it? Brag about these things as if they're ours. So, you know, it's not about us following after men, and yet you'll see that there are those who want followers. Just want to follow them. Be on their side, you know? This kind of person, as soon as there's a conflict, the first thing they do is they get a hold of all their, you know, I get this person on my side, that person on my side, this person on my side. Oh man, Cora, what are you doing? Second Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So there's a deception that's definitely taking place. They're not being upfront or open with the reason why they're they're, they're kind of concocting a rebellion. They have these pretended reasons, which are... Oh, cool. There's a little pocket there for water bottles. Um, <clears throat> which we're going to see in a moment. But they're presenting these uh, secret... Uh, Destructive heresies, denying the Lord who brought them and bringing on themselves swift swift destruction, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And it's difficult even talking about something like this. I think, in mentioning in the first service, somebody came up and shared afterwards they've been through a church split, they've seen the divisive things. And in praying with them, one of the things on my heart was I was just reminded of, like, that's a very real pain. You kind of carry that if you've gone through that before, and I hope and pray you haven't, but if you have, you know what that is, you know, you know what it is to see um, the pain of of divisiveness and um, people driven by selfish ambition. Verse three, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. If you have an old King James, it says they will make merchandise of you. Isn't that something? I like the, 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 the imagery there. Because what happens for someone like this is, for a false prophet or for someone that is intent on rebellion, you're not a person anymore. You're a commodity to be taken advantage of. And they just want to get more. I got one more on my side, two more, five more, ten. Can I get a twenty? You know, they're just trying to get more and more people to aggrandize their own ego, and they just become a commodity, and they have no issue with spending you or be, you being wasted or destroyed on the altar of their own ambition. You know? Just getting people on their side. And they will make merchandise of you. In, contra- in contrast to those who God has appointed and put in those positions, often against you know, their own desiring, to be in those positions to love and to care for and to minister to the flock, to die to themselves for the sake of the flock, they will exploit you by deceptive words. Verse, and it's back in um, Numbers chapter 16, verse 2, it says, They rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. <clears throat> so this is an intimidating attack, 250 men, men of significant uh, position. These guys were influential Um, I mean, they were only influential because the Lord made them influential. The Lord had allowed his spirit to come upon them in Numbers chapter 11. The Lord had appointed them as elders and leaders over their tribes. So God had given them their renown. But now they're throwing their weight, the weight that God had given them on this cause. And it's not the Lord's cause, but it's a scary attack. I mean, within a church, it's, I mean, if you could picture two people versus all of the leaders and everybody else, like half the congregation, There's no way Moses and Aaron are going to survive that. There's no way that the children of Israel are going to survive something like that unless the Lord himself intervenes. That's what's at stake. And this completely blindsides Moses and Aaron. They gathered together. Before we read verse 3, 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, this is what Paul said. Uh, He said, For what makes you defer from another? What do you have that you did not receive? Um... Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And in Psalm 75, verse 6 through 7, it says, Exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts the other. Verse 3 They gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, You take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Man, here's your accusation. Moses, you're trying to, you're trying, you just want to be in authority. You want to be in charge. You're taking all this authority upon yourself. This should be more run by everybody. We're all holy. The Lord's presence is among all of us. You're just, who do you think you are, Moses? You're leading, and The problem here is this. It wasn't true. Moses was not taking anything upon himself. Everything that was upon his shoulders, the Lord had put there. And very often, he didn't want it on his shoulders. (laughs) Once a month, he was trying to quit, and the Lord was not allowing him to. You know, he would just, even from when he first got called to the ministry, the Lord called him and said, you know, that he wanted him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, ah, Lord, I don't... I mean, how are they going to believe that you sent me? I mean, who, if they ask who sent me, you say, I am who sent me. Well, I, but what, how do they know that I'm going to be speaking on your behalf? Well, throw the stick that you have on, uh, on the ground. Turn, throws it on the ground, turns into a snake. Go, Pick it up. It turns back into the stick. Yeah, but, okay, st- stick your hand inside your jacket. Pull it out. Oh, it's got leprosy. Put it inside. Oh, it's fine, you know. If that doesn't work. Pour out some of the water of the Nile. It's going to turn into blood. Oh, Lord, I can't, I can't. I, but I'm not a good talker. I can't speak. I don't, I, you know, then Moses, the Lord gets upset with Moses. He says, I made your tongue. You just got to say what I say. You speak my words. Says, All right, but I'll send Aaron. You can talk to Aaron and Aaron can talk to them. Then they can talk to Aaron and Aaron can talk to you. You can just stand behind Aaron the whole time. And, uh, and the Lord gives him this, this grace. But he didn't want it back then. He didn't want it in Numbers chapter 11 when the people complained because they didn't have enough meat in the wilderness. And he said, these people, I go through their tents and they're just crying and my heart's broken and I can't do anything about it. Lord, what are, are they my children? That you put the, the weight of them upon my shoulders. Lord, I don't want this job. If this is what, you're, what it's going to be like, just kill me. And the Lord doesn't, doesn't thank God, doesn't answer his prayer. <laughs> You know, But the Lord says, okay, I'm gonna, you're going to see what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you the glory of God. But he was not coveting this authority. He was not desperately grasping for trying to lead people. He wanted to just live out the rest of his life as a shepherd in the desert. There's a pastor I like listening to that his, uh, he said this once, and I thought it was very funny. He says, I have a reoccurring dream. And my dream is that I'm not a pastor of a church. I just work at Target. And I'm, I'm, I'm not at a register. I'm just one of the guys that picks up the carts. And that's what I do for eight hours a day. I pick up carts and I take them. And I pick up carts and I take them. And I love them for saying that. But um, hear the accusation. It rings so hollow, right? You take too much upon yourselves. It wasn't something that they were taking upon themselves because they were not the leaders of the people of Israel. God was the leader of the people of Israel. Moses and Aaron were just the servants. And so... You guys are running these things on your own. That's the accusation. But the hidden reason we're going to see in verse 10, it's a very, it's a very dangerous um, rebellion that's taking place here because um, if he tries to defend himself, he only seems to confirm it, right? If he's like, no, actually, uh, the, the Lord has put me in charge. The Lord did tell me to, uh, you see, you see, your authority, you're authority, you're power hungry. He's not going to defend himself, and maybe that's, your situation here, maybe you're thinking uh, you're in a position of authority and that gets challenged, and if you're insecure in your authority, then we want to respond in the flesh, we want to defend ourselves, we want to we want to advocate for ourselves, and that's not what the Lord would call us to, you know, that's not the way to deal with it, Moses deals with it in a very godly way here. And here, in this kind of flattery with Korah, it's very... Uh, the words are calculated to flatter the people, to pander to, the, to everyone. We're all spiritual here. Right, guys? You know? And so a lot of these things, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but, and I hope it's not like me being cynical, but if, something is, if a gift is wrapped in too much flattery, I'm suspicious of it. You know? Anything wrapped in too much flattery should be suspicious because it's appealing to our pride, and the Lord wouldn't appeal to our pride. And one of the things that mistakes that Cora is making here is that he's a confusing authority with equality, which is not the same. Before the Lord, we're all on the same uh, on the same level, right? If it weren't for the blood of Christ, we would all be in hell. And and but the Lord still does, for the sake of His administration of everything, of a home, of a church of a business, of everything. There's, he gives some more authority than he gives others. It's just the way that he administrates it. And it doesn't mean that that person is on a higher level or holier or better. Oftentimes, I think the Lord gives authority to some people over others because they're knuckleheads, because they need the accountability of the responsibility, you know. And so then the Lord kind of puts people, and I speak of myself, not of anybody above me. And so, and, you know, the Lord, the Lord puts people in these positions of authority for the sake of accountability, it's a total misrepresentation of the Lord. It's a complete facade. What, what, the reason why this is really taking place, well, I want to jump to it, but we're going to keep reading, and we'll get to it when we get to it. Verse 4, it says, When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And there's a lot of different elements there to what's taking place. One of the things is that there's an element of mourning that's taking place there. Moses has gone through this before. In a couple of chapters before, I think it's chapter 12, Moses uh, has his own brother and sister come. And say to them, uh, say to him, who do you think you are, Moses? We're all filled with the Spirit. We all hear from the Lord too. And and in in that case, he had when his wife died, he married an Ethiopian. I guess they didn't like it. I don't know, but it just it mentions that. And then it says his family started saying, who does he think he is? You know. So I I tend to connect the two together. Um, But here they start speaking poorly of Moses, and they don't go to Moses. They start going to the people, and the Lord steps in, and the Lord says. Aaron, Miriam, Moses, outside right now. You know, when dad does that, you don't want, you don't want to be a part of that conversation. But, you know, he, he calls everybody outside. Moses doesn't, again, doesn't defend himself. He doesn't advocate for himself. He doesn't try to prove his point. He says that he was the meekest man in all the earth. Yes, he did write that, but the Holy Spirit told him to write that. It, it wasn't like Moses saying, Moses was a meek man, erases it. Moses was the meekest man in the world. (laughs) Um, It wasn't that, you know, the Holy Spirit told him to write that down. Um, And so when this accusation comes against him, the Lord is the one to defend him. The Lord is the one to say, how are you not afraid to call, to speak about Moses that way? Do you know the price that he's paid to be here? And so often, if you're going to be faithful as a leader, if you're going to be a good spiritual leader, you're going to pay a personal price. Whether you're a pastor or a father or an employer, you're going to pay a personal, private, spiritual price for being faithful to the Lord. The Lord knows that. And a lot of times, nobody else knows that. And that's okay. You don't need to tell everybody what your personal sacrifice is. I don't want you to lose your reward in heaven. But to be faithful before the Lord, you pay a price. And here, the, 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 those who are rebelling, they don't know anything about that sacrifice. They just want the power. They just want the position. They want the place. And so he falls on his face as an act of mourning, as an act of humility, as an act of just him being uh, caught completely off guard off of that. I mean, sometimes you're just blindsided in ministry. Something happens, and it's so tremendous, so huge. I don't know how to handle that. Maybe next time I should just fall on my face and figure it out down there, you know? And I wonder if there isn't an element of it also where he's just kind of stepping back and being like, whoa, that's quite a lot of pride. I'm going to step over here in case the Lord throws something at you. But he falls on his face before the Lord uh, and before, before Korah. And then he spoke to Korah and all his company. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if he's... I mean, tomorrow or so cool because his face is on the ground. I don't know if he would do that. <clears throat> but part of me thinks that he, it might have sounded like that. He spoke to Kor and all his company and he said, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him that one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. And so this is how you handle, right, a false accusation. I'm not gonna defend myself. I'm gonna let the Lord defend me. I'm going to let the Lord vindicate me. He, bring God into the picture. You take it to the Lord. And so here's what Moses says. He says, all right, Korah, let God decide. Let God choose. And, and really, he's in a position where only the Lord could deliver him. Uh, there's that old expression that says, you tend to your character and let God take care of your reputation. To vindicate means to defend, to justify, to support or maintain as true or correct against denial, censure or objections. And so, I wonder if sometimes we would not benefit from allowing the Lord to be the one to vindicate us more, instead of us vindicating ourselves. In Psalm 26, verse 1, David said, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Psalm 35, verse 24, Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. Let them not rejoice over me. Psalm 43, verse 1, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. Psalm 54, verse 1, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. And so, allow the Lord to vindicate you. Those psalms written by David. You know, he knew a little something about allowing God to vindicate him, being chased down by Saul, a wicked king, and yet saying, I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Let the Lord be the one to deal with him. And the Lord did deal with him. And he says, here's, what, here's what's at stake, right? Korah, you know, he says, we're going to see who's holy, and we're going to see who belongs to the Lord. And I'm not going to be the one to tell anybody. It's going to be the Lord to do it. Psalm 24, verse 3 through 5 says, I'll read it. What's being addressed there is who can come up into the presence of the Lord. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord, And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Verse 6, this is what Moses prescribes. He says, Do this, take censers, Korah and all your company. Verse 7, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. He turns around on them. He says, You guys are taking too much upon yourselves. And you look at that and say, well, why is he telling him to do this whole thing with the censors?" Well, because that was priests' work. These were Levites. And, and so I guess one of the things that you've got to kind of understand to be able to get the passage is that all the priests were Levites, but not all the Levites were priests, right? So you've got the Levites, and then the tribe of Levi, Aaron, and his sons specifically would be the priests. But then the other Levites still had a blessed position and role. Their their job was to help transport the elements during the tabernacle and afterwards, when the temple was set up, they were the ones that would take turns coming in and serving in the presence of the Lord and offering up the sacrifices. And it was a blessed, a privileged job. But but uh, but Korah was not satisfied with what it is that the Lord had assigned to him, and he wanted more. These men were exalting themselves above their own calling, their own gifting. And their own character. And I like the fact that he says there, the Lord's gonna choose. It's like, Korah, I didn't choose to be here. You don't get to choose who's gonna be here. None of us gets to choose. The Lord chooses. And we abide by his choice. If it's not his choice, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know? Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. And there's almost in this, this element where now, because of what's transpired privately between Moses and the Lord, Moses is assured in the authority that God has given him the place that God has put him. So he humbles himself. He falls on his feet. He says, Lord, tomorrow this is going to be decided. There's mercy in that as well. I mean, they have a chance. They've got 24 hours to decide. You know what? I don't think I want to have this fight. I don't think this is of the Lord. So they got, to, they got till tomorrow to decide this. But then he says to them, this is what you're going to do. You're going to stand and you're going to do priestly duties. You want to do priestly duties? You may find that having priestly duties is a little more complicated than you think it does. But that's fine. Grab the censer. Go stand in the presence of the Lord. We'll see who the Lord acknowledges. And then he stands up and he says to them, now he's going to bring conviction on them for their attitude and their heart. Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them. And has he brought you near to himself? And he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. Are you seeking the priesthood also? And it's, it's, he's saying, has it become a small thing to you? all the blessings that he's given you all the privileges that you've had in the presence of the lord to stand before him and to serve his people the lord singled you out levi you had a core you had a ministry you had a calling you were there and people knew and respected that place that you had and now it's not good enough you deserve more you deserve to be acknowledged you deserve more authority it's not enough a place of entitlement's a dangerous place to be at, where you think you've deserved, you've earned. And it's a heartbreaking accusation, but it's the truth. Is it a small thing to you? I mean, it's, it, I think of when Nathan confronted David after his sin with Bathsheba. And he said, the Lord said to David, I found you when you were a shepherd. And I gave you a name and a reputation. And I made you king in charge of this entire nation. Responsibility over the wives of your predecessor to take care of them. I gave you everything. If it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. That you should go behind my back to try to take something that is not yours to have. And sometimes when we find ourselves in that position of entitlement, we're not far from falling. We're not far from judgment. you got to beware of that sense of entitlement, that sense of I deserve. Start thinking little of the ministry that the Lord has called you to or given you. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. And it had become a small thing for them. Entitlement means having a legitimate or lawful claim, being qualified for, the fact of having a right to something. And Jesus said his servants in his house should have a perspective that say, I've only done that which was asked of me. I'm not qualified for anything. I don't deserve more. The Lord's grace and his mercy have given me the privilege of being in the place that I'm at. And therefore, verse 11, it says, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord And what is Aaron that you're complaining against him? He says, you're not gathered together against me and Aaron. You're gathered against the Lord. I'm not your leader. The Lord is your leader. I'm his servant. And there isn't a recognition of that authority that the Lord has in leading. Moses called Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. That is disrespectful, man. A price that... Moses is paid to be faithful as a, as a leader of these people, for them, him to just say, hey, guys, come here. Let's talk about this. I'm not going to go up there. Who do you think you are telling me what to do? Oh, my goodness. This is going to make Moses upset. Verse 13, is it a small thing that you, now now they're going to turn down turn that word of conviction back as an insult to Moses, and it's not even accurate. It says, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you're going to keep acting as prince over us? This is, this is what you call revisionist history. They're not in the wilderness because of Moses. Moses was brought them to the promised land. They were on the threshold of all of God's promises, and they said, I can't obey that, and that's why they're in the wilderness, but when there's a problem, the easiest solution is to try to change the coach, right? Just got to get another coach in here. It must be the leadership's fault, you know? And so they're saying, this is your fault, Moses. You brought us out here. We don't even, we, you know, this, you call this a land flowing with milk and honey and you're going to act like a prince over us? I don't know what hoity-toity means, but it seems like something appropriate for something like that. <laughs> you're out here acting like a prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land full of milk and honey, nor giving us an inheritance of fields or vineyards. What, are you going to put the eyes out of these men? We're not going to come up. you Are going to blind us so that we can't tell that these aren't the promises that you told us we were going to have? It's not because of his fault. It's not Moses' doing. It's, it's their own doing, because they were not willing to take the land that God had given them. Now Moses is upset. Moses was very angry, and he said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. So the Lord Jesus saying, Lord, that is not right. Do not respect their offering. Don't show them any grace on this one. <laughs> he goes, I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt any of them. That's quite a testimony, right? He's been leading them for I don't know how many years. I haven't hurt one of them. I haven't hurt one of them. I hope and pray that that could be my testimony. I don't know if it can be. I'm, I'm, I sometimes can hurt people. He's like, I haven't hurt one single one of those people, man. He says, Lord, that is not right how they're treating me. It's disrespectful, Lord. I pray that you hold them to account for that behavior. And he have not taken a single donkey from them. When uh, the Lord, uh, when the people of Israel came to Samuel and they said to Samuel, uh, We want a king over us. You're old, your sons aren't quite cutting it. We, can you just set up a king? I don't know if I like the whole uncertainty of God choosing and leading and being in charge. Can you just have like a lineage of kings and have those be the ones in charge? And Samuel says, God, I haven't taken a single donkey from them. So I don't know if that was, like, a a thing that, like, you take donkeys from people if you're a bad leader. (laughs) Give me all your donkeys. They're all mine. Um, But both of them were just like, I haven't even taken a donkey from them. What What are they, you know, treating me like this for? And Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it. And each one of you bring his censer before the Lord. Two hundred and fifty censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them. So now he's got all the people on his side at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke, Uh uh-oh. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. So now the Lord shows up and the Lord doesn't even address Korah. It's like Korah's not in the room. At this point, I'd start sweating. Separate yourselves from among these congregation that I may consume them in a moment. At that point is when you just kind of want to be like, oh, can you hold this sensor for me? And you want to run the other way, you know? But the Lord doesn't even acknowledge them. And then Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces and said, "O oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation. And look at the heart of Moses and Aaron, right? Interceding for, pleading for the very people that are there trying to say this is all his fault. You know, get this, get this guy fired, get him out of there. And the Lord says, all right, I'll just judge all of them. I mean, maybe me or us, if we were in the place of Moses and Aaron, we'd be like, oh, that sounds good. It's about the fifth time they've done this. Go ahead, destroy all of them, and we'll start over again. Um, But that's not their heart. And this may be the heart of a a seasoned leader, of a broken uh, heart. Uh, You know, someone that has been a, a leader, a shepherd for a very long time. And knowing all kinds of people can get caught up in something like this. Lord, many of them are not even responsible for what's taking place. Lord, don't don't hold them all responsible. Have mercy on them. And God in his grace and mercy is allowing the congregation of Israel to see publicly something that Moses has done privately several times already. Where the Lord has come and said, they have sinned deserving of destruction. And Moses has said, Lord, please have mercy on them. Lord, please. Now he's allowing the congregation to see it oh man, I'm glad Moses is there to intercede on our behalf. I don't know if Korah would be interceding if he had that opportunity, right? But here the Lord uh, allows everyone to see Moses pleading on their behalf. So the Lord spoke to Moses and said, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abraham, The elders of Israel followed him because they wouldn't come to him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs lest you be consumed in all their sins. You start taking a couple steps back, you know. So they got away from around the tents of Korah and Dathan and Abraham. And Dathan and Abraham, they came out and they stood at the door of their tents. They doubled down on their rebellion with their wives and their sons and their little children. And we'll come back to that. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they're visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens up its mouth and swallows them with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. This is not about rejecting Moses. I mean, take it or leave it. Moses doesn't care if you reject him. They're rejecting the Lord. And he wants everyone to see the damaging effects of what's taking place. But they, they're, they're, just, they're rejecting the Lord. And they, he wants everyone to know it. So if he you know, prayed and said, oh, Lord, if, uh, let consequences come upon them and then they, they get a heart attack. Ah, it's just a coincidence. Three guys happen to get a heart attack at the same time. Or let it, let it have a nice drizzle, you know, and it rains in the desert. Ah, that's unlikely, but it's possible. He says, let's do a whole new thing, right? Let's have the earth open up. They fall in, all their stuff, anybody on their side, and then it closes. Lord, and then it's, it, as he finishes saying the words, it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words, the ground split apart under them and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all, their, and all the men of, with Korah and all their goods. And so when we read a passage like that, it's, it's worth noting that what the Lord is communicating very clearly is this is very dangerous. The influence that this has on the congregation of God's people is very dangerous. Because when the Lord, what they're doing is rejecting the authority that God had put in place. And God is using the authority that God had put in place to direct the people of God towards his purposes. So if now they're going to reject the authority that God puts in place, the people of God aren't going to be directed towards the purposes of God, right? So this is what's in danger, what's at stake, is all of God's purposes for his people being thrown out the window. Because they all go follow Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and they go back to Egypt. Now where's the Messiah going to come from? You know, where's all the purposes and plans down the line of what God has in store for his people? So God loves his people too much to allow them to be the casualty or the victim of the rebellion of some. So he says, we're going to deal with this very quickly. In modern day, I hope, I pray that you've never been the victim of of a church split. But it's a very painful thing. But when it does happen, when there is a church split, you should know when people gather people to themselves and they, they use those people divisively to divide a church. And as far as I know, it's not happening here, right? But God led me to this passage of Scripture, so I'm passing it on not because of anything that I know of, but because it's what the Lord told me to teach on. But I do believe that the Lord's telling me to teach on it. Maybe there's the seeds of something. Maybe it's in the heart of, of, of one person. I don't know but that the Lord would address it. If they, it, it when somebody raises up a church to draw people after themselves and make other people with flattery and appealing to people's pride, and let's, 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 let's you know, undo the work of the Lord that's happening here, if you follow that church, that, that kind of group of people far enough, it, given enough time, it will not last. It will cannibalize itself. All the people within it are just seeking their own glory and seeking their own attention until there's nothing else left. So it happens even today. It just takes a little bit longer when it does happen. And all Israel, verse 34, who were around them, fled at their cry. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men who were offering incense. They had offered up strange fire before the Lord. The Lord had told Aaron, don't go offer strange fire before the Lord. What's strange fire? Fire that God hasn't prescribed. That's why they're being consumed. The Lord told them, don't go and worship me however you feel like, whenever you want, however you say. I'm showing you how to approach me. And if you hear that and think, I can't believe that God has to tell me he's limiting the ways in which I approach him, man, that's not the right heart to have. Thank God he's shown us a way to approach him. Right? Of course we come in the way in which he prescribes for us to come before him. And so then they're consumed. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest. I mean, Aaron had already paid a personal price for that lesson. His two sons were consumed when they decided to try to throw, offer up a strange fire. Tell Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy and scattered the fire some distance away. And the censers of these men who sinned against their own souls. Right? Wow. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13 says this. I just want to read it. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 13 says. It's not chapter 10. I think it's 12. Ah, it's not there either. I'll find 13. It's chapter 13. I remembered. Now I have to remember the verse. Did I invert them? I'll find it. Ah, 17. Totally messed it up. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you, right? So that's what the verse is that comes to mind when he says these people sinned against their own souls. Moses and Aaron were there to take care of them, were there to help them, were there to offer up sacrifices for their own souls, help lead them in the ways of the Lord for their own benefit. So they've sinned against themselves, you know, to their own detriment. Eleazar took the priest, of the, uh, the, pre, the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were, burned up, had presented, and they hammered them out as a covering for the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel, that no outsider who is, a descendant of Aaron, who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Koran, his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. And so in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16 through 21, remember there was a broad, What he's saying is those censers that they had, he had them hammered out into a covering for the altar. So whenever people would come to offer, they'd have to lift the co- the cover and be like, "Why is there a covering on the altar?" "Oh, because Korah tried to off- to usurp the authority of Aaron as a priest. And the Lord just wants Aaron to be the one as a priest to come in." Now, Aaron as a high priest is serving as a type of Jesus. Isn't he? The high priest. And so, essentially, if we want to apply this for ourselves, you cannot come to the Lord, outside of any other realm but Jesus. You come through Jesus. And sometimes people chafe at that. What do you mean through Jesus? I want to come through Buddha or Confucius or my own good works or my own wisdom. You don't know how wise I am. I can approach the Lord on my own. The Lord says no. The Lord says there's one way. There's one door. There, a lot of these things that God was setting up back then were intentionally set up back then to point us to Christ. To mess with that is to mess with what God is communicating. When Moses in his anger messed up with, with the representation of what God was communicating, the Lord said, you cannot go into the promised land. So how much more these people who are now trying to mess with the imagery that God is saying, and we could all come however we want to come before the Lord. No, it's the way that the Lord has prescribed. And in 2 Chronicles 26, verses 16 through 21, uh, Uzziah, the king, a very great, good king, before the people of Israel. He said, I'm doing such a good job as a king. I think I could do an okay job as a priest. And he grabs a censer and he starts walking into the temple to offer up sacrifices. And it says, the priests, they surrounded him. They said, you are not coming in here. The Lord has said how he wants to be worshipped. And we will worship him the way that he has said. They're risking their own life to do that. And he's trying to fight through them. And all of a sudden, he's got leprosy. And the priests just push him out. You to get him out of the temple. You know, you're defiling this place with your pride. And so there's a reason why the Lord gives us these reminders. But, you know, maybe we're here, and there's a lot of different ways and perspectives that we can have that when we look at something like this. But one of the things that I wanted to kind of mention as we come to an end is, it mentioned earlier that, Dathan and Abraham, his sons and his little ones were consumed in the rebellion. And there's good reason to believe that his family, his sons, and his little ones were involved in the rebellion. Because Korah, it says in Numbers chapter 26, verse 11, Korah's sons were not involved in the rebellion and his little ones. So it seems that when Korah starts kind of stirring up the pot to bring this rebellion, his family says, no, 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 no. We're not going to be a part of this. So his family's not involved. His sons are not consumed in it. But Dathan and Abraham's sons were, and children were. It's worth noting that the sons of Korah didn't die. And if you read through to the book of Psalm, verse 42, chapter 42, Psalm 84, those Psalms were written by the sons of Korah, the descendants of Korah, who were, who were spared because they weren't involved in the rebellion. And now they are singing songs that we sing Praising the presence of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord. Longing after God. Having learned the lesson of their ancestors. How they value, deeply value God's presence in their life. They want to come before, they're reverently coming before the Lord in the way that God has prescribed. And, you know, a a brother from the church that made me swear not to say their name. They make me swear, but I'm doing it because I think they're an okay guy. But you, you read in 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, you read through one of those genealogies and you find one of the sons of Korah was Elkanah. And one of the sons of Elkanah was Samuel. Samuel is a descendant of Korah. The last judge and the first prophet of Israel. Well, Moses was a prophet, but you, you hear what I'm saying. And so here Samuel is the one that tells Saul, the king, one day, wait till I come. And when I come, then we're going to offer a sacrifice. And Saul is waiting and waiting and the people are scared and he wants to go to battle and he's antsy, so he starts offering the sacrifice. And then Samuel, a descendant of Korah, says, what have you done? What have you done, Saul? Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. What an incredible thing that that's who God would use to pass that message on, isn't it? Someone who had seen it in his own life. Who knows how big his family would be if Korah hadn't been an knucklehead? But maybe you're here and you struggle with the authority that God has put in place. You don't know the price they pay to be faithful to their authority. Whether that's your mom or your husband or your father, or your boss, or your pastor, or your police officer. You don't know the price that they pay to be faithful to that authority. Or maybe you are that authority and you're just trying to do the right thing and raise the standard and now your authority gets challenged. And let the Lord be the one to defend you, to advocate for you. Because the Lord has a purpose and an intent for his people, right? There's a reason why he does things the way that he does them. As a the worship team comes up, maybe if your heart is Stirred or convicted or you need prayer, there's going to be pastors up front that are available for prayer. If you've never given your life to the Lord, this is a great time to do it. Um, before you leave, you can know that your eternity is settled. You know what's going to happen when you die. If you've never made that decision before, please come up and pray with one of the pastors. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for Your word and your spirit, your heart, your patience, God, your mercy. Thank you that you're a strong uh, shelter, Lord. You're a refuge we can hide in. When the storm is greater than us, Lord, when the problems are bigger than us, Lord, you can protect us, Lord. You can guide us and lead us. And I pray, help us, Lord, to flee to you, to make our refuge and our hiding place in your presence, Lord.